Welcome to the Desire Lines podcasts. I'm Rebecca. I'm an artist and over the past year I've been slowly developing Desire Lines, an art project that engages with communities around Crow Park in Keswick, hosted by the National Trust. These podcasts are audio collages that bring together different voices and stories from the project, recorded during walks, interviews and online creative writing workshops. Each episode explores recurring themes that have come up in the conversations. Episode 2 explores different ways of knowing and understanding the landscape. We'll hear about industrial history, intelligent sheep, what different plant species can teach us, soil compaction and walking as a way of knowing the fells. In this episode, you'll hear from Morris, Joe, Roy, Penny, Gillian, Dave and pupils from St Herbert's Primary School. Crow. Hundreds of soil types, rock types. Lots of floating willow. Where to go, when to move. Yeah, coming round Black again, tree. you can Just in cloud at the back there is eel yeah, crag. Skiddle. Little man. I like how like, the mountains are like patchwork. You like everything. Think about hunter-gatherers. They look like little animals. So you're stood there mm. at the middle of the 19th century. You picture the scene. You would still be standing on Crow Park. It would still look the same. Some of the trees on Derwent Island would be smaller because they're Victorian planting, so that would be developing. But, but what you would notice straight away is the, the, the quality of the view would be completely different because it would be full of smoke. It wouldn't be a clean, wholesome view that people expect to see or have a, an idea of what, what a, a natural view is. Because in the middle of the late 18th, early 19th century, there would be lots of mining work going on. There would be lots of charcoal making. Charcoal making involved lots of fires. Lots of fires and moving wood involved lots of horses. So it would have been a smoky, muddy, busy environment. summer's day and there could be 200 people on this bank looking towards the lake playing and sunbathing and doing whatever they want to do and the sheep on the backside of the hill just tucked out of the way and uh, enjoying it as well. We want the park to be for everybody at all times and we don't want to ruin it. We have had quite a lot of events on here, vehicles on there, that's caused quite a lot of soil compaction. 
we've done soil profiles and, and dug pits and the actual soil structure isn't working as well as it should do. In fact, the last time we dug a section of turf out, uh, probably four metres square to put a, uh, a beacon on for, the, for a bonfire, we only found one worm, which is ridiculous. And that's down to soil compaction. Excellent. It's combination vehicles, sheep, people, it's everything, it's pressure. Uh, if we try aerating it, so they'll be probably 18 inches down uh, or more, yeah. there'll be a hard packed pan yeah. which water can't penetrate. We've also run a uh, glacial moraine. Uh, so underneath there, there'll be lots of big boulders, but also lots of glacial till, so clay, uh, which again, water doesn't like permeating through. It's just a talent. So we stood uh, on the edge of um, the isthmus, which is a wet woodland, uh, a willow car. It's um, quite an unusual piece of, of wet woodland. Um, there isn't a huge amount of it left around. It, it's not a very large area, um, but it is quite special in terms of obviously the habitat it provides for, for birds and insects and obviously other plants that um, are able to thrive in the sort of the shadow um, mm. of, the, of the trees and, and it is wet all the time pretty much. You've got the, the willow have sort of just come into the end of their, their blooming session and so we're looking at a pool of water here which is, which is rather splendid with lots of floating willow flower heads in it surrounding a, a, a lovely um, group of marsh marigolds which is, they look like little animals. And then on the other side of the path um, adjacent to, to the lake, and unfortunately there's quite a lot of Japanese knotweed now appearing, um, which, um, which is a real pest, unfortunately, and highly invasive. So it's one of uh, a few species that we have around uh, water which does cause problems in terms of management, and what we don't want is for this particular plant to spread any further because it will outcompete our native plants, so it is important for, for, the, for the staff, the team, whoever, to, to get, a, get a grip on it. looking at it and seeing how it's changed over the years uh, and see how soft rush has uh, moved in and starting to grow in actually on the field itself that's changed over the years and that's changed because of compaction what's the soft rush uh, tell you uh, it's rush and we call it soft rush because we've got soft or segmented and uh, i'll show you a bit if it's segmented you actually run your fingers up in you can feel the segments whereas this is soft all the way through yeah. okay. well, so although it's a hill it's very wet on the top of the hill it's not functioning as a proper uh, well, say the, the soil structure is not working as it should, it should do. We can change that. I couldn't just take these sheep to a mountain in Langdale and turn them out because they they would all end up back at Thornythwaite Farm. Okay, <laughs> they really know. Like they would go back. Wow. They would go back. That's amazing. They go away to winter on a you know real lush place and um, they come back in the spring and because they went to the fell with their mothers they are naturally they naturally know where to go they know their flock on the mountain and that's just generations and generations of shepherding and doing it the way we do it the yeah. mother knows because its mother took it up there yeah. and its mother know you know what i mean so it's generations of breeding and, and hefting 
that keeps them on the right place on the mountain. You know, that there's nothing for these sheep to go to back to Thornithwaite and go back onto the mountain. There's, they could go, I don't know, 35, 40 mile. There's no fences. They could go, you know, they could wander, but they don't because they have been taught from hundreds of years ago when they were starting to put sheep onto the mountains. They've been, they know their heft. People that arrived in the past, 2,000 years ago, had a much greater understanding of this, this locality. And in fact, if you think about hunter-gatherers, their knowledge was amazing compared to today's uh, agronomists who just deal with one species. A hunter-gatherer had to know hundreds of plants, hundreds of animals, hundreds of soil types, rock types, where to go, when to move. Their, their knowledge was phenomenal. more intelligent than what we are. We are. Okay. Yeah, in, in, you know, it's not just the hefting system um, that the ewes teach the lambs. It's, you know, it's where, when it's really extremely bad weather. You imagine being on the mountain, you know, we're, all, we're all tucked up in our houses in front of our log fires. These guys, they go on to the, they're on the fell. You've really got to spend a little bit of time with them and realise that they're not a sheep. They're, they're, they are a sheep, but they're extremely, extremely intelligent. You know, yeah, that's like they, how, what's actually interesting in, in the way you just described that, it's like they have this knowledge of the landscape. Yeah, they do. That's like deeper than a lot of humans will have. Yeah. Because they spend all their time out. Yeah, they definitely do. Yeah. I could have 500 lambs in this field and they would know which way a lamb was because the, 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 every, diff, every lamb has a different smell. Oh, really? It's so the, smell, yeah, it? it's, well, and the, is uh, it also voices? the, the blurt eventually. Yeah. Um, but as lambs, they know them by the smell. You know, it's incredible. Mm. Absolutely incredible. An aria of lambs accompanies me across the buttercup grass. Then the power of the iridescent water squelches between my toes. Come, come, kith, kin, kiss, come, come. Ignoring the bee sting coldness, I succumb to my Lorelei Lake. So that's Dodd. And then as you're going round, you can see Bath, which is an um, uh, interestingly named one. And um, you've got uh, Lord's Seat next to it, I think that one is. And then you've got Winlatter Forest there, and you can see Peak of Winlatter. It's good to see them in different seasons, so um, different colours when the, the, the bracken is out or when it's dying or when the, the heather is coming to bloom. It makes different colours on, on different mountains. Um, but I think doing, doing them over and over again it just makes you feel like you know that little place as, almost as a person. You feel that you've got um, more the more you meet them, the more affinity you've got with them. Um, like, as if they're sort of friends or lovers. Hey, how's it put 
like this. Yeah, but like, I just have to. Like that. Wait, I have to To put it along like that. No, I'm not using them. Why aren't you using grass? I'm going to keep the grass. This podcast was edited and produced by R.L. Wilson. Recordings were made by Rebecca Baynart and R.L. Wilson. Thanks to everyone who's contributed to the project so far, and Jesse Binns and the North and West National Trust team for their support. The Desire Lines project is part of Trust New Art, the National Trust's programme of contemporary arts supported using public funding by Arts Council England. To find out more, visit nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash desire dash lines.